Is it episode 25? Yes. Okay, well, in that case, welcome to Defen episode 25. We're here um, in sunny Belgium and uh, super sunny uh, Netherlands uh, with VJ. And we're, we're in America somewhere in the middle of nowhere <laughs> with Tony K. The very sunny Sisters Oregon. Is it Oregon? Okay, so you're yeah. not super storming it. No, no. In fact, uh, I think we're at the moment we're burning in half. Is the uh, is the thing we're wow. doing? Yeah, there are a lot of forest fires. Ah, right. Okay, I saw that photograph of the uh, of the golf course and the fire in the background. Was that was that near you? Um, there are so many fires going in the west right now. Uh, it would be hard for me to say whether or not that was or not. <laughs> okay. They're going all the way from, yeah, all the way from California through Oregon, Washington, Nevada, Montana, like the whole Northwest is on fire. Yeah. It's probably just totally normal though, isn't it? You know, nothing. nothing. (laughs) No, this is the worst worst fire season since 2005, I think they said. Um, And that was a pretty extreme one. There's no other bad weather in America though, is there? Yeah. Oh, no, no, no hurricanes or anything. Is it, is it the global warming causing the fires or the fires causing global warming? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the funny thing I heard about <clears throat> was, uh, I think the, the, the tropical storm, the, the little bit of wind and rain that you had in America that killed about 50 people. And mm-hmm. then, oh, everyone's like, it was world news. And then in India, there was a, um, a flood that yeah. killed 1200 people yeah. and no one gave a shit. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That seems to so, be, yeah. Well done. Well, yeah. <laughs> America. USA, no media. USA. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so we're talking about the most Belgian thing, uh, the most boring thing in the world. We started off super exciting <laughs> with the storms and the fires. I, I, and <laughs> I like that you're using you're using most. I mean, Belgian as the synonym for boring. Ah, we haven't got there yet. Oh, know, so okay. <laughs> the most boring it's thing I've done this week is become a Belgian. So. <laughs> You, you let the cat out of bag a bit early there, VJ. <laughs> yeah, so to avoid the, the Brexit bullshit, um, I've now become an official uh, Belgian citizen. And so have my kids, so we're all good. Nice. And uh, so that's, yeah, that's, that's, all, that's all sorted. Screw the UK. Uh, I'm yep. still a UK citizen, so I can say <laughs> that with impunity. <laughs> and uh, right, uh, so VJ, what, what have you been doing that's the most boring thing? Uh, I think most of my life has been boring. So, if, well, know. you've been doing this masters of boring administration, haven't you? Yeah, indeed. So, I'm on the last term of masters of boring administration, and uh, I'm just doing my international negotiations. So, it's it's a really nice class, and and it is run by a professor who is into technology. He's a CEO of many things. Blah blah blah. So, um, yeah, that is the most boring thing I think I'm I'm doing right now. Uh, other other than. Uh, I don't know. Uh, starting Defen again after summer holiday. So that's ah, that. yeah, yeah. We're back. Yeah, yeah. we are back <laughs> into your right, ears. So Tony, Tony, uh, I know that you're into a lot of boring stuff, aren't you, Tony? You're into testing. So what's yeah, what's all that about? <laughs> <laughs> that's a nice way. That's, that's a nice way to insult our guest. It's a, a pretty boring thing. It's not the most boring thing I've done this week, though, I don't think. Well, go um, ahead, tell me. Tell me, what's, what's the most uh, boring thing you've done this week? I, I recently bought a, a really old camper, you know, the kind that you put on the back of your truck and, oh. and drive out into the woods with. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah. 
you know, it's got all sorts of issues because it's almost as old as I am. And uh, so I've been taking it apart and doing things like scraping mold. So, you know, that's, that's scraping probably the most mold. Thing. Wait, did, did yeah. you, <laughs> we've got a winner. We've got a winner, Fox. We've <laughs> been scraping mold. I mean, yeah. This is, I mean, even testing can't beat that, you know? No. Cle- cleaning up 40 year old uh, uh, caulking. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. But I, I see, I see kind of a theme here. I mean, we, we keep talking to uh, like closure developers around the world. And most of them are like hermits or, you know, like a, uh, they, they, they live in remote places with no human contact. Or <laughs> I don't know what it is with closure people. So eventually once I, once I, I would, pick up the full-time closure job. I'm, yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to end up well, in Himalayas yeah. or something. I don't know. I yeah. think so. You live in the middle of nowhere in Oregon then, Tony. Yeah. I, I do. Yes, I do. It's, it's actually not my... Uh, total preference but i've I've sort of ended up there um <laughs> isn't that where they did little house on the prairie if i'm not wrong no i think little house on the prairie was actually in the prairie uh, <laughs> oh. oregon is <laughs> oh i thought i thought the, it was the name, the name gave it away yeah <laughs> oh yeah. i don't know where i don't know where they actually made the show they probably made it in southern california uh, oh. no, okay. but it yeah it was it was set on the great plains no it wasn't based in all right okay okay well, I, I've got about as much American geography knowledge as you have of, as Americans have of you know, the rest of the world. <laughs> right. <laughs> Zero. Sorry about that. Yeah, Belgium. So that's, Oregon uh, always sounded nice. That's somewhere near yes, Italy, part, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're definitely more temperamental than the Italians, though. Yeah. Fun <laughs> go. Right, sorry, yeah. Okay, so um, I think it would be nice if uh, if we do a bit of an introduction, or, or I mean, how did you end up in the in the middle of Oregon or, or whatever? But uh, no, I mean, apart from scraping the mold of a of a camper van, uh, I'm sure you're very busy with the coding stuff and everything. So can you give well, us some idea? What do you really mean, no VJ? Or would you, you mean how were you chased out of town, Tony? Exactly. How was I chased that, out of town? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Actually, I end up in the middle of nowhere uh, because of, of uh, trying to find clean air for uh, for my partner at the time, who had some health issues. So mm. that was wow. more that was more the out of town okay. uh, part, oh. trying to get away from the city. The, the bad air of of city. Yeah. Wow. So where were you before? Um, I was in. Uh, uh, Bend, which was is a little larger town here in in Oregon, and then before that, I was in uh, um, the Seattle area. All right, okay, um, for a while. Okay. So the stench of Microsoft was too much. <laughs> yeah, to... you know, Microsoft will run you out of anywhere. <laughs> but but what were you doing in 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 the um, uh, in in Seattle and like technology? Well, I've like most, work-wise? I, yeah, actually, I've I've been. Um, Mostly working remote, the the dream job of oh. most of the closure engineers that are that are hermits. Yeah, uh, I wasn't working in closure at the time. At the uh, at the time I was in the Seattle area, I was actually working for a company in Oregon. That's mm-hmm. how I ended up back in Oregon, as they asked me to come and take over their their engineering department. Yeah, um, but it was actually a company doing uh, primarily Java, and that was oh. a number of years ago. And I'd been playing with Haskell and a number of other functional programming languages for years ever since graduate school mm-hmm. and had really been aching to to get it into the work environment more. And so it was at that company that I started actually pushing a very Java centric. So the the obvious step forward there at the time was Scala. Mm-hmm. Um, so I pushed 
pushed for them to try adopting it. Yeah. Um, you know, we wrote, I don't know, 20, 30,000 lines of code in it. And then, uh, you know, I really have a lot of appreciation for Martin Rodersky's uh, language design skills. I think he did a great job meeting his stated goals of let's maintain, you know, good operability with Java, but, you know, pull us into a, uh, you know, good functional programming, typed yeah. functional programming language. Yeah. Um, but from a practical standpoint, it was, um, I found it to be overly complex in terms of the things you tended to do. Um, like the the community there tends to fetishize complexity, I think, a little bit too much. Um, yeah, they they see yeah. the type system and they think, oh, wouldn't it be cool if I designed <laughs> this domain specific language using types? Which it is cool. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, like there's a uh, an SQL DSL yeah. uh, over there called SQL. SQL. Uh, the name of yeah, it. Squiddle. Squiddle, yeah, Squiddle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which is you know you look at it and you know if you if you get it to compile, you've got you know <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you've got uh, you've got what you were looking for, um, but as soon as you start stepping out of the bounds of what the DSL can support, you know you're writing a more complicated query with more complicated joins. It, it's you know messy. you end up it's messy, and then if you need to go extend the library, oh my god, you know you're in kind of AST type hell. The thing I find about Scala actually, Tony, when I was writing it, I remember because I saw Dursky a couple of times because uh, he's a European as well, so he talked in Belgium and 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 uh, mm -hmm. England a few times. I saw him at one of the Java conferences, and he was all about uh, the scripting. Yeah, we can make it nice and light. You know, we can do all the code, inf all the type inference. You know, mm -hmm. these, let's get the types out of the way. Um, right. And yet, as soon as you write a non-trivial Scala program, you have to tell the compiler everything. You know, mm -hmm. so that's what I found anyway. I find it very hard to to use all the type inference. You know, it, yeah. When it went, there's a lot of magic a in there. Point. Yeah, and that was that was ultimately the breaking point for me. Is the tools needed to be a lot more powerful in order to make it usable? So you mm -hmm. needed the thing to be able to you know hover over something with your mouse to see what it was sometimes. And so if you didn't have an IDE that was really strong, it was difficult to reason about your programs. And and maybe that was just design weakness. I don't know, but it it, it was a common occurrence. And then the tools, because they had to be so advanced, and because they did these. You know, exponentially <laughs> explosive uh, searches for things. The tools got really slow as your program got bigger. Yeah. So I remember, you know, we had a million lines of Java code that would compile in, I don't know, seconds, and we had twenty thousand yeah. lines of Scala code that took thirty seconds. Wow. <laughs> like it yeah. was literally two yeah. orders of magnitude slower in the tool set, and for a larger program, that just became you know more and more developer time wasted. You know, even you know, even if you were doing test-based development, where you weren't wasting all the time clicking through a UI or whatever to try to test the thing you were doing, you were still waiting for the tool set to build your thing. Yeah. Um, and True incremental builds. Yeah. yeah, and incremental builds because of that type inference thing, uh, particularly the the um oh, what's it called? Implicits. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you if you accidentally pull in too many implicits, then even an incremental compile could trigger these massive you know, yeah. uh, cascades of compiles that, that just cost you too much. So that was kind of my, my, uh, first, you know, walk into functional programming in a larger programming environment, you know, everything from, you know, before then had been kind of academic exercises and playing with the tools. And, um, you know, I'd seen closure come onto the scene and had been, uh, interested in, in seeing, you know, yeah, wh where that brought us. Yeah, just just one second. I mean, I think what's 
what's interesting about Scala is all of these big data tools and all this kind of stuff. So, I mean, people have written real big programs in Scala. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I'm a bit, obviously, like you, I moved from Scala to Clojure and it's all good. But obviously, people are having some success in Scala. So, we can't completely... Uh, it's true. Off. No, I, yeah. I, I mean, the way I would have approached it if we'd continued using it would, would have been to broken things into modules so that you couldn't trigger, you know, these big, nasty compiles and, and interdependencies. It, it was a lot more yeah. management. It, it was tractable, um, yeah. but it was complex. But you're right. I mean, it's, it is a, I, I think it's a great language. I think it's a, um, it, it's like I said, I really think the world of Martin Odersky's design, um, when I read books about it, absolutely love it but it's sort of like you know i read books about like bjarn storstrup's book yeah, on yeah, c++, c++ yes. right you know the design and implementation <laughs> oh, of c++ yeah. you read that book and you're just like wow this what a great idea this is just superb yeah, this is yeah. amazing and then you sit down to use it and you shoot yourself in the foot every two seconds yeah. and you're like oh my god and then the compiler goes into an infinite loop because templates are a touring complete programming language and you can cause infinite loops in the compiler and right it's yeah. they're great ideas but the practicality of it didn't didn't suit me personally. But isn't it, isn't it because you know when you when you switch to Scala, I think probably ninety percent of the programmers who are picking up Scala are picking are, are coming from Java world. So you know in Java mm -hmm. you're used to this kind of mindset of huge code bases because yeah. compiler is fast enough. And then when you transition into Scala, you you continue that 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 design thinking, quote unquote design thinking, and then you mm -hmm. bring that in. That messes yep. it up. But if you see Haskell, for example, if you're switching to a language like Haskell, you you wouldn't do the same thing. Like you wouldn't. Yeah, of you course, really Haskell can't. compiler is really, really, you know, uh, much, you get the much same tool issues. Yeah, yeah. That's so yeah. that I thought that was the fundamental shift that that people couldn't make enough to 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 take advantage of Scala's uh, better features. Um, of course, there are lots of warts in in Scala. I mean, I, I've been writing Scala for almost uh, six years now. Um, mm. Uh, not six years, sorry. Um, I think, uh, yeah, four years maybe. Uh, so we started around 2.8. And then mm -hmm. we had some fun with 2.8, 2.9, you know, that, that fancy time. Right, that whole transition so, thing yeah. from version to version is always fun. That was fun. In that ecosystem. Yeah, but but the, the, I think the latest thing is, I mean, we, we use 2.11 and then we use uh, APIs. We build APIs and we also use Spark. And as Ray was pointing out, all the big data system, you know, things, mm -hmm. um, those things are driven by Scala, at least on JVM. Uh, mm -hmm. So... From my point of view, when you switch from Java to Scala, if you bring in the the Java way of writing code, that that's much more hard to pick up the functional stuff. So, mm -hmm. how did you how did you pick the functional side of Scala? What, what's your opinion on that 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 part? Oh no, I think it's I, I like I said, I think the language is wonderful. To me, to me, the ultimate weakness of of it was um, was one tooling. Um, mm. Tooling was I found to be really really inefficient. Yeah. Um, and, and buggy, I spent a lot of time, like if I sat there with a stopwatch and timed how much time I actually built software versus how much time I struggled with tooling, yeah. it was too high of a cost for me. Yeah. Um, but I, I want to love the language. I, I really do like the, the, the theoretical of it. It's yeah. the practical of it that, that kind of caused me issues. And then, you know, I, I, you know when, I, when I started playing with Clojure and saw Rich Hickey's talk, Simple Made Easy, a lot of things fell into place in terms of the thing you're trying to point out there. With object-oriented programming, we have all these design patterns and things that are really workarounds for yeah. kind of uh, uh, a paucity of features in a language, right? Mm -hmm. We had classes, we had nouns. That's what we had. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah, everything's yeah. a noun, the kingdom of nouns. Um, and, uh, you know, he makes some great points around 
things. And I've always been on the fence about type systems because I was also, you know, wrote a, uh, I started out as a systems programmer, worked mm-hmm. in C for years, uh, worked in, in uh, Perl, mm-hmm. um, you know, in, in shell scripting and, and various other things. So I'd, I'd worked both with dynamic languages that were either loosely typed or untyped or, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, and and I'd worked in the typed world, and I was always on the fence because certainly types do catch a certain class of errors. They're they're certain kind of test uh, that you kind of get that's that's sort of forced onto you. Um, and the better you the better you build your type system, the better off you are in terms of of those tests helping you with something. Yeah. But at some point they break down because they're just a static analysis, right? So like for yeah, example, yeah. Closure Spec has this nice advantage of. Of it's it's more of a dynamic analysis. You can actually check check what's going on at runtime, um, you know, kind of assertion based thing. Speaking of tooling, when uh, this is also one of the criticisms for closure, right? Because people say mm-hmm. you know tooling is is really bad with closure. Well, if you if you if you, I mean, recently things are like much much better with uh, obviously Emacs, you know, being the best editor ever. So you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I think you would agree with that, right? I mean, I don't know which 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 tools do you use, so. Is it Emacs so or something So I use IntelliJ else? with Cursive. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, and I, I think very highly of that tool set, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I do, you, I do know people. I do know people that use uh, SpaceMax. Yes, uh, and, that'd be me. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. And SpaceMax is an excellent tool. I, yeah. I don't have any complaints about that at all. And that's, that's, I guess, you know, if you bring that up, that was one of my initial worries about the closure ecosystem is all right it's it's rather young mm. the the tooling when i started using it you know cursive i don't think had been released yet um i think it was right on the cusp i think light table was about about the cutting yeah. edge of yeah of uh what was there and you had you know you had the the um the emacs yeah you know cider kind of things yeah. going but there were pretty unstable still. And that improved really rapidly as I started playing with closure. So I hit right at the at the nice cusp. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And today I don't really have any complaints about about the tooling. I mean it's on the JVM. IntelliJ and Cursive gives me almost everything that that I want. And you know, I rarely find myself trying to pull my hair out. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there there are there are some rough edges, but the rough edges that are there um, are almost always solvable by kill the repl restart it. <laughs> and that's gotten a lot less frequent. It used to be you did that about every five minutes, and yeah. then you know we developed yeah. better techniques and figured out how to get the hot code reload to work better. And and at this point, yeah, occasionally something something mysterious is going on where everything just doesn't seem to be working. But it takes like ten seconds to just clear it all out, clean the compiled stuff, and restart. And then you're good for the rest of the day. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, there's still annoyances, yeah. but it's not like I, I press save and I've got to wait 30 seconds while my IDE is hung doing an incremental compile. You yeah, know, I don't yeah. have those kinds of headaches. That's true. So are you, uh, are you, are you into the whole like REPL driven development stuff as well? Because I, I, I think that's a magic of closure, frankly. So I, I do think that's a very, ma- I, I would classify myself uh, in, in kind of an interesting way, I guess. Um, I would say when I'm experimenting with a design or trying to figure out an algorithm, certainly I'm, I'm playing with the REPL. Uh, I particularly love the, you know, the editor integrations where you can, you know, type out your expressions and send them to the REPL and, you know, have a real first class editor support um, for that. Uh, I do a decent amount of that. When I'm actually coding something that I understand, I typically do it more behavioral driven with, with Fulcro spec. Mm. Um, that's, that's typically how I'll, I'll build things because then I know all those little experiments that I would be running in the REPL, I can run just as fast in a specification 
and then have that specification sitting around for others to run when they're trying to expand or adapt that code later. Um, so this so, is a nice, you know, nice. Um, back to the boring. Back to the boring testing stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but b before we even go into the testing stuff, I mean, uh, so obviously you're you're the author or the principal author for Fulcrum, right? I mean, can, mm -hmm. can you give us some idea about you know how did you how did you come up with the um, with the idea to build this thing together and what were you building before and and what is the big picture for Fulcrum? Right. So I'd taken a job um, as a lead engineer um, for a company that needed to revamp their engineering department. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I was tasked with new software development and, and deciding on technologies. And of course, I had an interest in one of the new technologies being functional programming. Mm -hmm. um, like mm -hmm. you know, I, find, I find immutable data structures and the, the general functional programming model to be quite good for local reasoning and for you know keeping bugs out of the way and for efficiency in, in developer time. And so I really wanted that to be there. So we actually compared, you know, I think F Sharp was in the mix, Scala. Wow. Uh, you know, we put Haskell on the spread. It was made a spreadsheet and put all the languages <laughs> uh, along the top and then down the side. You know, what what do we want? You know, we included, I think, C Sharp and Java, like, you know, um, yeah. because the, some of the concerns were training engineers, hiring people, uh, support for first-class immutable data structures, uh, you know, support for type systems, et cetera. Like yeah. like all of those all those criteria we just listed along the left and then we gave each one a weight based on our group's kind of opinion of how important is that to us mm. and then for each language we just went through and said here's here's what it is and you know one of the criteria would be you know availability of libraries um, etc and so at first we were just trying to decide what to use on the server yeah. and in our spreadsheet analysis closure came out on on top not by a lot actually um, by our okay. criteria maybe only by five to ten percentage points but it was enough to to say, okay, that's that's what we should try at least. Let's let's give that a shot. Um, and as we were starting to build the the server side stuff, this is about the time that uh, Bruce Howman's talk came out on Figwheel, um, and uh, you know uh, various interesting things were happening in the in the front end side with React and and ClojureScript. Uh, Ohm, the first original version of Ohm, was around and had that great to do MVC and the time travel demo. Yeah, and I saw that time travel demo. And the first thing that popped into my head was support DVR. Like okay. that was the first thing that popped into my head when I saw that. I was like, what is the biggest yeah. problem developers have when once they're in production? Is somebody reports a bug and the bug report sucks, yeah. right? The bug yeah. report is, it didn't work right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so then, <laughs> you know, you're sitting scratching your head for three hours trying to figure out what went wrong. Mm. Well, what if I could just, along with my, you know, support requests, send you a history of what was in the UI that you can play back and actually see what was going on. Yeah. And oh, by yeah. the way, I could put into that data stream timestamps and correlate it with server logs right there. So I can see the second it went wrong, the, the millisecond it went wrong yeah. and go see, oh, right, that database was down. All right, it's not a bug. It was just an outage. Or I can see the bug um, and with hot, hot code reload, I could actually edit the code on your data from your UI and see the bug resolve. Yeah. Like that's, that was just, you know, to me, that was, that was the killer feature mm. because so much of our time as developers is spent tracking down crap, yeah, right? Just true. tracking yeah, down yeah, and yeah. figuring out what's wrong. And if that's such a, that's such a powerful diagnostic tool that, you know, ban all other features. I don't care <laughs> if I can get that one in my production environment, I'm going to fly 10 times faster. Yeah. So, so that was really the, the kind of the aha moment. And so then I started pushing towards, we really want immutable data mm. and, and this, this central atom based, you know, database 
with pure rendering on the UI because you get this. Yeah, you get yeah. this for free. Um, and and that's that's just amazing to me. Yeah. So that's what kind of got me into it. Yeah. Yeah, let's say the applications that we were going to be building there, I'm, I'm not working there anymore, but that's that's what we were aiming at was uh, they were just web-based uh, software as a service applications for the hotel industry. Okay. Um, so, you know, data input, data analysis, charts mm. and graphs, um, you know, your typical web app kind of, of okay. environment. Raymond, did you had a question? Yeah, we were just going to go on. We're just going to talk about um, the the sort of perennial um, philosophical part before we go into into full crop proper, which is like, how did you come to decide about f- frameworks versus libraries? How did you find that evolution? Because I think that's probably the, probably part of the history, at least, of of what you've been doing um, recently is making that that sort of decision. It's a it's a tough balance, um, and. You know, Fulcro was originally named Untangled, and a lot of people yeah. probably still know it by that name. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, you, you know, when I when I left the company, uh, they they had decided not to continue down the closure route, um, mainly for internal issues. It it really didn't have anything to do with the technical. Uh, it had to do with with um, uh, more with just abilities of, of existing engineers. Yep. Uh, that were there and their preferences. So it was more of a political battle that, that <laughs> didn't get win, won. Yeah. Um, so uh, I changed the name of it just to avoid you know, the, the name. Eh? <laughs> yeah, the spreadsheets be damned. Uh, you still have to convince the, uh, the yeah. legacy programmers that they want to do something new. I do believe in the you know small set of primitives that get the job done. Um, I, I do like that philosophy, and I think it is a good philosophy. The general, let's make a library. It does one thing. It does one thing well. And um, you know, and then we'll collect libraries together to get to get our our whole. Hmm. That works for a lot of things, but when you're trying to do application engineering, what you ultimately need is all the pieces. You need the part that that you hook up on the server, and you need the part that that you set up in the UI. And the more those parts know about each other, the more seamlessly they connect together. Um, and you know, we, we did, if you look at the uh, you know history of Untangled, we had a lot of little libraries. We had Untangled uh, Client, we had Untangled Server, we had Untangled Datomic, we had uh, Untangled Spec. And all of these were meant to provide just one piece of the puzzle that you could pick and choose, right? You don't have to use the server-side primitives in Fulcro or Untangled. You don't have to use uh, Datomic. You don't have to use, right? Um, but the intention was, if you want to use... Datomic. Here are the pieces that are already pre-built for you that you can just plug in, and and move with it, mm. right? Because we mm. wanted fast development. You know, you money is time. Time is money. You don't want your developers redeveloping how to interact with a server if there's a clear, simple way that they're just going to all write the same way. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And so Fulcro and, and Untangle. Uh, Fulcro is based on Omnex. That's what's underneath at the at the core, mm. and it wants to talk via Eden to a server, and transit. Yeah, um, you're going to write the same basic things over and over again for developers. So having those pieces available makes sense. Now, what size they should be, how many dependencies they should pull in—that's something I'm always, you know, wringing my hands over. I'm always trying to make uh, the the libraries give you as few dependencies as possible. Um, and you know, as you pick and choose things, well, mm-hmm. you know, you end up with them or, or don't end up with them. Uh, when I started maintaining Fulcro on my own. Uh, uh, then I was kind of forced to do a little bit of, of 
coalescing of those things uh, just from a maintenance standpoint, um, mm. right? Just trying to keep things up to date. It's much more efficient for me to be able to edit uh, the server things in the same context as the client things. Mm. Um, the number of dependencies that actually get pulled in uh, in, in the current Fulcro library, that's that's the biggest thing that worries me is, yeah, you, you can pick and choose some piece of the library to use or not use, but the thing you're more worried about is getting infected with a dozen dependencies that you didn't want, right? That's the yeah, thing that you're more yeah. concerned about. Um, and so I've tried to keep the server side fairly light. Um, but again, the, the whole intention is Fulcro works best in a full stack scenario. You're probably going to use Ring on the on the server side. If you don't, all right, well, maybe it's not the perfect choice for you. You still don't have to. Yeah. Um, but you're probably not going to be that offended by me pulling Ring in, Uh Right. So, yep. and then on the client side, I stopped worrying about the client side stuff because you've got Google Closure. You don't care what dependencies you pull in. You put in advanced optimizations, it code prunes everything you didn't use, and who cares? Yeah. Right. It doesn't really hurt you. Um, so, so that's how I landed where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Is I am trying to to limit the infection that you get <laughs> in terms of dependencies you didn't want. Uh, so, for example, Fulcro SQL is still a separate library. Fulcro Datomic is still a separate library. You're not you're not getting database dependencies shoved at you uh, when you right. when you choose to use Fulcro. Um, uh, so that's that's the These dividing are kind line of that I chose type for this. Exactly, it's it's more of an opt in uh, kind of scenario. But Fulcro, the main library, is here's the minimum you need to make a full stack, single page uh, application uh, for the web with kind of all the batteries included that you that you need uh, in, in terms of you need transit because you're going to talk Eden across the network. You need ring because you're going to have a server. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and supply you with a pre-built web server that you can either do in a modular way. It actually is set up two different ways. There's one where you can just say, create a web server for me. It's like one line of code. Yeah. Or... Yeah. Um, there's uh, a module component you can pick up uh, that lets you plug into the server side API handler, you know, plumbing that's pre-built and, and hook that into any kind of server infrastructure, including servlets, like whatever you want to plug that into, just plug it in. Mm-hmm. And yeah, your dependency path is going to have ring in it. All right, deal with it. Um, so, so that's what's in the main library. And it, it is an attempt to be a, as minimalistic as a library as it can be to meet the criteria of I want to build a full stack single page application, mm-hmm. um, and I think we I think we hurt ourselves by going to the point of saying you know what UI library just has to be a UI library that's all it does um, yeah. because the UI if you've got a browser based you're in a distributed environment that's what you're wanting you're wanting a distributed framework and distributed systems are hard why give yourself the pain of having to design the entire distributed you know full stack system. Yeah. If there's something out of the box that you can use. So uh, I was wondering because the, so this is a full stack thing. So uh, the front end part you said it's 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 based on Omnext or it uses Omnext mm-hmm. in, in the back end. So right. what w- w- what is the rationale? Because did you try Reagent as well, and and why did you pick Omnext? Right. So um, where we started with Untangled was actually a library by Luke Vanderhart called Quiescent. Oh yeah 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 that's another yes yes. Um, because we were leaning towards the, well, what we want is kind of a minimal layer that gives us the pure rendering, yep. the React kind of interface. Uh, and we want to design the kind of the middle, you know, mm. uh, middle backend, figure out how to get the the server infrastructure. You know, in my mind, I had sort of like 
you know, I'd looked at Meteor and Elm and a bunch of different things. With Meteor, you have that that really cool, okay, I've got a database yeah. on the server yeah. and a client and and I can subscribe to things. And it, it you know, and the downside, of course, is it's, it's, it's Mongo. Yeah. Um, it's your database, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but, you know, and then you look at the rendering, like if you play with Meteor in, in, in detail and you look at what you have to do to hack into the rendering, it's kind of nightmarish as well. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that level of complexity, as I saw the the React slash ClojureScript approach that people were taking, it really seemed quite powerful. And when I looked at Reagent, Reagent, um, that was what was available then. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, just my mind went blank. What are the predecessors uh, in the successors? Um, uh, we have the not Redux. We have Reagent, R-Atoms, RUM. RUM uh, yeah. Quescent, Quescent, reframe, yeah, reframe. That's the one I was trying yeah. to think. Of. Reframe. Um, those weren't those weren't there yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had basically it was basically Reagent and Ohm were the ones that were around when when I started working on this and Quiescent. Yeah. Um, with Reagent, it seemed to me that you were gonna tend to have developers kind of plopping these R atoms all over your UI, and you're gonna end up with this really you know state state spread everywhere sort of thing. Um, you didn't get the time travel kind of capabilities unless you just used one R atom at the root, which I think is what a lot of people ended up yeah, doing. Yeah. I don't even I don't remember what patterns they ended up suggesting you use with with Reagent. Um, it was it was kind of kind of cool, but it didn't seem to lend itself to simplicity. Ohm I liked until you got to the point of what if I want to display the same data in two different ways in the same UI. Right then, you had this weird, you know, reference cursor thing that was difficult to, you know, yeah. it wasn't horrible, but you know, when you looked at the the kind of the general structure of them, it seemed pretty complex to me. Um, and so we had started working on our own kind of data persistence, data interaction layer for Quiescent when Ohm Next came out, and. Uh, you know, David Nolan was exploring some things there that were very similar to what we were exploring, and I think, frankly, he had better ideas about solving them. Uh, he'd been thinking about it a lot longer. He'd he'd done more research on you know what Netflix had done and what Facebook had done, yeah. um, and he came up with a, a model that was pretty nice. And so our 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 initial take was let's just adopt that. Let's let's not write our own. Let's just use Omnext. Um, and I don't know if either of you've tried using Omnext, but Omnext yeah, yeah. is a little difficult to get started. That's with. true. Um, it's, uh, it's building blocks. You know, David Nolan is, is basically said this is building blocks. You're going to have to build a lot of the, you know, there's a lot of pieces to plug in that don't just come with it. Um, and it's also meant to be very flexible. You can plug in, you know, any database you want on the client and any database you want on the server. And as soon as you do that, now you have to write the merge routines for getting the data in the database and a parser for pulling data out of the database, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Um, it's a lot of code to write. So as we started developing an application in Ohm Next, we realized that, oh, we're going to be rewriting this same thing over and over. Let's see if we can get the company to allow us to open source these things that we're building. Yeah. Um, because they're probably going to be useful to other people. So that, that was the birth of Untangled, is, was let's make, right. let's make Ohm Next tractable to start with. Right? Because if you sit down at a company and it takes you a month and a half before you have a screen up, they're probably not going to let you use it. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Um, but yeah. if you can sit down and in a couple of days be pretty productive, yeah. Um, and get all these other cool benefits, um, well, 
then you know that's pretty attractive. So that's that's how it got started, and that's yeah. why we ended up choosing what we chose. Just a small question there, then actually, because there are like let's say two competing ecosystems in Clojure at least. Obviously, React based is one with uh, Omnext and all the reframe stuff, um, and then there's the the Hoplon people. Um, who seem to be doing a bit more of what you're talking about, which is kind of like full stack form based applications. So, did you look at that at all? The the whole the whole Hoplon um, ecosystem. I, I have not looked at Hoplon. Oh, okay. Oh, not to worry. Yeah. Uh, so that's another. <laughs> right. <laughs> can can only be an expert on so many things. Yeah, yeah that's, that's right. Yeah, they did. They, they did the boot. Um, the boot uh, build boot tool, tool as the well. Bo- boot ecosystem. Yeah. No, I know yeah. about boot for sure. Okay. It, it may be worth having a look at it, you know, as a sort of uh, academic interest, but obviously mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're far down the path now, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> I right. just that's, if you, that's sort if you, of the point you, is there's yeah, so yeah, many, yeah, yeah. there's so many things constantly happening. I mean, that's a continual worry as well is, you know, you've got your head in the, in the sand, so to speak, down, down a path that you've you've set yourself on it does make sense every once in a while to pull your head up out of the sand and look around yeah um yeah well i, I think the react stuff is still the dominator anyway so yeah, i don't think you've made a bad decision yeah. no i'm very happy with how the 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 ecosystem works i think it's extremely powerful so i'm sure there are plenty of other libraries like i haven't written a large thing in reframe uh, it's entirely possible that people are doing yeah, yeah. Uh, you know really great things there and, and any with large scale applications that are simple and, and easy to reason about and wonderful. You know, I, I think that's, yeah. that's part of the evolution of the, the entire, uh, craft, right? Software engineering is about us continually inventing new tools that, that improve on something. Um, okay. and so, you know, it's, it's, uh, a lot of us monkeys banging on typewriters <laughs> until, you know, the works of Shakespeare come out. And I, you know, I think we're, you know, we're maybe up to the, the, you know, the dime novel at this point, uh, you know, the quality eventually. of mercy is strained at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Ray, you had a question about security for this one, right? Oh yeah. I was just, yeah. uh, one of the things that, uh, that people do, let's say in terms of like libraries versus frameworks, one of the things that people talk about is the fact that if you use the Ring ecosystem, then you've got to plug together all of the um, security aspects as well. So I was wondering what you've done in that sense for um, for Fulcrow. So um, what I've done in the sense of h- handling Ring's problems? Well, whether because you, you said it's batteries included, so did you choose something and say, okay, this is we have, we integrate very well ah. with Buddy or something like that, you know? So we do integrate well with with um, Biddy, but that's not really a security issue. No, Buddy. It's a Biddy. Oh, no. uh, uh, you're talking about the routing thing, or Buddy, or no? Buddy is the yeah. Biddy's the routing thing. Yeah. yeah, Buddy's B- the, Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Biddy, Buddy. <laughs> it's like that's Biddy an odd thing to ask me about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the the so back to what we ask a lot of odd questions, by the way. You know, <laughs> yeah. If they seem so, like stupid questions, it's probably just. <laughs> It probably just a super question. Yeah. Um, so back to what we were talking about a minute ago about the the balance between frameworks and, and libraries. I'm not trying to be a framework. Hmm. I'm trying to include just enough of the batteries right, uh, right, that right, you're right. almost certainly going to write. I have no idea what you're going to need to do with security. 
So I'm, I'm not including batteries for things like that. Yeah. Right, um, right. Right. There's a component for letting you handle server requests that, that's easy to plug in to whatever infrastructure you want that gives you the plumbing that's necessary to make a nice, consistent story on the UI. Um, and whatever you put between it, and, you know, in the ring stack, whether you need, you know, whether you, maybe you need sessions, maybe you don't. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, that's that's really a decision you get to make that that I don't try to make for you in any way, shape, or form. Um, okay. I have some suggestions about making, for example, the query, uh, uh, you know, handling query security in an efficient way. Mm. But in terms of of the other security issues, that that I leave to the the developer. Okay, so you have like lithium ion batteries rather than triple um, A, rechargeable. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> not sure. I understand your analogy, but <laughs> lithium-ion batteries are smaller. <laughs> oh, okay. The size has the small nothing, batteries. The size has nothing to do with the, with the <laughs> chemical composition. Anyway. Oh fuck. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> it's, they're lighter. Lithium-ion are lighter. They're you, higher energy you, density. You became Belgian and the and the <laughs> British guy. So basically, two. Okay, I'm I'm probably offending like both sides, both countries now. Okay, absolutely, you're offending both. Of, you're offending me. Mm. But, yeah, <laughs> no, you're right. It's, it's, uh, you're, but you're up, annoyingly, you're right. You're absolutely right. <laughs> I think that that's the most annoying part, right? When somebody is right, yeah. that's very irritating. Like, stop being right. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's like uh, arguing with my wife. Yeah. Anyway, go on. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I was looking at the back end as well. So you have these these. Two modules, like easy server and module-based server. I mean, what what exactly are those things for the backend? So easy server is the one-liner. It's it's uh, like I'm in development. I'm trying to get a server up. I don't want to read the doc shit. All right, <laughs> write this one line of code and you're going. Like there's nothing else to do. Okay. Uh, the the modular server is I want to write that full stack. I want to say what every little level of the of the ring stack is. But I also want the plumbing of handling the server requests from the client mm -hmm. in this clean, unified way that I can just stick in the stack. Okay. Um, so that's that. Th those are the two modes. So one is you get to shape the stack on the server however you want to shape it. Yep. Um, and uh, basically, you've got a Stuart Sierra component. So I, I do, you know, I do want to make it so that you can do dependency injection and such. So that's that's the the, the module. That's the one that I chose back back years ago. Okay. Um, and so you have uh, you know, a component you can start that acts as a middleware piece that you can then place in that in that you know that server wherever you want, or you could, like I said, you could stick it in a servlet and just hand it requests and take its response and you know morph the morph it however you want. You know whatever JVM environment yeah. server based thing you want to do uh, is kind of up to you. And and so to to get started, I mean, do you, are you? Uh, I haven't seen any lining in templates or anything or maybe i am i looking at the wrong there location? was originally a, no you're not you, there was originally a line, excuse me a line again template okay what i've switched to is a as a clone based template there's actually a fulcro template yeah, git yeah. repository and you clone that okay the reason i moved to that had everything to do with just my time um, mm -hmm. you know developing and maintaining a line template is it's a lot more time consuming. It takes three or four times the amount of time. Yeah. And I'm just one guy maintaining a fairly large ecosystem of libraries. Yeah. Um, it was it's much more straightforward to me to, you know, clone the template, update the versions, okay. uh, uh, you know, make changes, make evolutions, commit it. And yeah. then you, someone who has forked from it, uh, you can even pull upstream changes. If there's some portion of that that's applicable that you've kept, well, you can't do that with a line template. So, yeah. you know, it has 
it has its pros and cons. The the downside, of course, is you can't just say line new, unta- you know, line new fulcro, exactly. you know, blah. Um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, as, as soon as you get into the well, do you want do you want to give them the option so they can say plus SQL or plus Datomic or plus this or plus that? Right. Um, and that's just it's just a lot of infrastructure to yeah. maintain. Um, so I try to have a fairly full featured yeah. working application as a template that you can just clone, strip out the parts that you don't need, um, and move from there. Yeah, I think it's the modern way. Yeah, but there seems to be a lot of you know a lot of different choices in in web application development and enclosure these days. I mean, of course, you can you can start with I'm going to go with the bare bones setup like my own ring and then composure and then I'm going to pick up all the stuff myself. Or mm-hmm. um, there is a luminous uh, the 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 um, collection of libraries uh, working together. And mm-hmm. uh, we have Pedestal for the back end, and then we have um, Reagent-based um, stuff, Reframe and everything. So th- there mm-hmm. is simply like proliferation of, of frameworks. I mean, there, there is so... Right, there's both a proliferation of frameworks and libraries. Yeah. Like, there's so many choices out there. And this is always the problem, right? When you exactly. go to develop something new, what of these do I pick? Which ones do I piece together? Yeah. Um, and there's a lot to be said for just being able to pick something off the shelf that has made all of those kind of analysis and decisions. And there's something to be said for, I want to fully understand every piece yeah. and pick it myself. Yeah. Uh, a lot of us do tend to lean towards the latter there. We yeah. do want to like know every little piece and pick it apart and, and put it together. Um, the downside is that takes a lot longer. That's true. It's, it's not something you're going you're gonna to do very quickly um, for, for a system with any complexity. Like, for example, just... Uh, you know, a lot of things people don't think about when they're piecing these together. Um, you know, with with Fulcro template, for example, when you clone that template, you've got a production build environment, you've got a development build environment, you've got a testing environment, you've got, uh, you know, you've got all of the tooling set up around how do I put it on a staging machine? How do I put it on a production machine? How do I test my components? How do I, um, yeah. you know, how do I do some of these different things? Yeah. Uh, uh, how do I make the server? Like all those things are already there. You're ready to start writing a production application. Mm. Um, but you are, you know, I've had the experience of, all right, let's clone a luminous thing or yeah, you know, yeah. do a template with luminous and all right, let's start trying to build this. All right. What's that for? Yeah. Right. You're kind of in the dark about every, you've got this ball of code that mm. you don't understand. Yeah. Um, and so I'm trying to address that by one, keeping it as lean as possible. I'm trying to, to just provide the things that you absolutely have to have uh, to get the thing to work. Unfortunately, that there are a lot of moving parts when you start talking about production software. Of course. Right? You've, got, you've got a development mode. You've got a testing mode. You've got all those things. Um, but I don't want to throw, I don't want to throw at you, you know, a bunch of these other pieces like you know, handling rest. Yeah. I, I don't want, I don't want, yeah. I don't want to tell you how to do that. Um, I don't even want you to do it. <laughs> I think rest is old school. Stay away from oh, it. Oh man! Um, yeah, but I think what you're what you're saying is that if if uh, if a particular developer or a team kind of if their tastes line up pretty closely to your tastes and your kind of set of decisions, then they can save themselves many weeks or months of engineering effort just by getting started here. I think that's the main win, isn't it? Is that right. you know obviously you're not going to force someone in a particular set of directions. But if they if they happen to come to the similar similar kind of choices in terms of how to do things, then here's a bunch of like pre-made things that can get you started really quickly. Right. And there's there's an element to that that is misleading with with Fulcro. Um, 
Because if you've been in a luminous environment, the thing you end up with is a choice of a bunch of other libraries. That's what your that's what your choice is with luminous is you're getting a bunch of libraries. That's not what you're getting with Fulcro. With Fulcro, what you're getting is a bunch of the decisions that you're gonna have to make for Omnext. Right. Right. There's there's a difference there. So what you're choosing with Fulcro is I like the model of Omnext, but I don't want to have to write merge. I don't want to have to develop a database. I don't want to write a mm. parser. I don't want to. I, I don't want to have to figure out all those things just to make Hello World. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's a big. That's a big difference. Um, yeah. There are full stack elements in here because Omnext also defines how you should be talking to the server, yeah. but it doesn't give you much code for it. Right. Mm. So yeah. what you're getting with Fulcro is decisions about all of those plugins that Omnext needs. It needs a merge behavior. It it you need to do things like, for example, uh, uh, in Omnext you have optimistic updates, right? So as you work with mm. the UI, the UI responds immediately. Yeah. Snap, snap, snap. All of the network traffic is kind of the ace. That's the only place asynchrony is. As far as the UI programming goes, it all looks like this synchronous thing that's just in lockstep one after another. Mm. Well, if you go in and plug in networking that actually does async networking, mm -hmm. then you could have out of order operation. Yeah. Right? You could have one server request get delayed on one of your servers with another one that the user executed second. Well, what if the first one created the thing that the second one is op updating? Yeah. Right? Now you've got a problem. So mm -hmm. that's the kind of stuff that Fulcro solves. It says, oh, well, by default, what you want is even though networking is asynchronous behind the scenes, you want a networking layer that serializes the requests unless the UI specifically says, it, yeah, it's okay, okay to make this one just go wherever, I don't care, right? Um, you want those in a sequence so that as the user's gone six steps forward, um, uh, you know, that, that, that the third one doesn't run before the first one. Yeah. Right? Those are the kinds of pieces that Fulcro is applying to the puzzle. So it's not like we're throwing together, you've got, you know, you're going to get Biddy and you're going to get this and you're going to get that. Um, you know, we do make like the, the HTML5 routing support library does take its data in a Biddy format, mm -hmm. but it doesn't actually care that you use Biddy. That's just for convenience if you happen to use Biddy. It's yeah. not a hard dependency on Biddy, yeah. right? It just so happens that you can name the handler for the route and the parameters. Okay, well, any secretary can give you that. You just have to reformat the request. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So there's not a whole lot of hard dependencies being pulled in. What it is is a complete picture of how the full stack should work from next. Okay, so can we just, uh, you mentioned that you don't like REST. It's, I mean, obviously, Omnext is talking about, you know, about the GraphQL basis. So have you mm -hmm. made any choices about GraphQL? Because we know Walmart have done this Licinia thing. Did you did you look into that, or have you, is it all basically your own your own kind of QL on the back on the back end? So it was already Omnext already defined that it's a it's a subset of datomic pull syntax is the query language. Oh right, 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 right. Okay. Right, which is collated on com components. That was nothing that Fulcro augmented or modified in any way. Um, the one thing that I've added is Fulcro SQL, which is essentially a library that implements datomic pull for SQL databases. All right. So that you can okay. run the datomic pull queries and get a graph result from a database without having to manually write all those queries. So you can compose the query as as a sort of pull syntax as data, and then mm -hmm. then then throw that to a SQL database. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So your co-located okay. query, you compose your tree of UI with queries yeah. that makes a graph query, because yeah. right, you've just it's really a tree query. But yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, because you've got a tree of UI, and you can take that 
that those little fragments of of query tree from the different parts of the UI because the, you know the, the different parts of the UI are unrelated. You might have a part that talks about users, a part that talks about invoices, whatever. But for any given little piece of that tree, you've got some depth to that, and that that generates a you know a tree which is you know also a graph um, that that you can pick up and just use as the query to the server to fulfill that data need. And so you have this fan of of tree query going out a fan of data coming back and then that data gets normalized into your local database um, and then the UI refresh you know goes from there so how do you define the relationships between the different things uh, in because in the database the relation mm-hmm. it's a relational database so it's you have to set set up certain tables or yep do you have to like, is it like like essentially the entities in datomic are tables in SQL or how does that work? So it, uh, you mean in, in terms of Fulker SQL? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just the idea is, you know, you set up relations in a relational database and you could think of those as a graph equivalently, right? When you do left joins or whatever from table mm-hmm. to table, you are essentially, you know, you're getting a table, a tabular result, but you're ex- essentially walking a graph. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the implementation tries to do that relatively efficiently. Um, but but that's essentially what it's doing is you describe what your what what your joins mean in terms of the keywords that you'd put on your user interface. For example, if I had uh, uh, user slash phone, colon user slash phone as a keyword on a, a user entity that says I've got a phone number, but in the database, that's really a join to a phone numbers table because I want the phone numbers denormalized. I'm sorry, normalized. Yeah. Um, uh, then I can write that as a join in my in my uh, in my graph, and then in my mm-hmm. description of for Folk or SQL, I just say, oh well, phone number uh, is is this relation on the database, this this edge, right? Yeah. This relational edge, right, right. and then from that, that's all the information I need to derive. That oh, all right, first I start with a root set of objects, the people, right? I find all their IDs, and then for every one of those, I can do a subquery, you know, a select in basically, yeah. uh, uh, to get the phone numbers off that the table that should join to those. Okay. Um, Thanks. So I was I was wondering. I mean, uh, when we were chatting before the uh, before the show, you said there were people who in the Netherlands who are using Fulcro already, right? So so what? Yeah, a VC. Uh, they do a Atlas CRM. Yeah. Uh, it's a plugin so, for Atlassian that does uh, CRM stuff. They're using uh, Fulcro. Okay. So how how was their experience been? I mean, what what did you hear from them? I mean, what what was the best thing for them uh, to to pick up Fulcro versus other things? Sure. So, um, and I'm trying to remember, I've got several commercial users actually, <laughs> oh. um, and I, I've got uh, testimonials from them on the website. So if, yeah, if you really I was just wanna, going through as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you just want to hear exactly what they said, you could, you could look at that. <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, you know, uh, Mitchell, uh, yeah. who works there is, is the guy that I've, I've talked to the most. Um, they, I know they basically started out on, I think it was, it was either reagent or reframe. I think it was a reframe. Um, and as their application got bigger, you know, whether this was, you know, design work on their part or whatever, like I said, I don't want to criticize other frameworks, but they had complexity problems. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, when they started experimenting with, with Omnext, then they had the problems of, oh my gosh, there's all this extra stuff to write. Yeah. And they, you know, the, you know, he, he had told me at one point that he originally just kind of avoided Fulcro because it sounded like, you know, this heavy frameworky thing. Yeah. And uh, then as he started to look deeper, he's like, oh, well, this is just like fixing all these things up in Omnext that I need. Yeah. Um, and and so, you know, 
nice. It was basically basically a big win for for them because there was just a lot less to write, you know. Because Fulcro, I mean, we've got you know co-located CSS at this point, uh, a specification writing system, server side stuff, server side rendering, internationalization, dev card integrations. Um, you know, there's there's just a lot of stuff there that you're just going to want. Yeah. So. Uh- by the way, I'd like to first, you know, uh, not first, but at least, you know, thank um, Cla- Claudio, Claudia, I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce the name, uh, Claudio, probably, on Slack, you know, he he was the guy who, who um, prompted me to contact you for the, for the episode, so he had mm-hmm. a couple of questions about what is your opinion about compiled to JS languages scene, because there, there seems to be a lot of other languages as well. Um, mm-hmm. So, what do you think of like Elm or TypeScript or PureScript? Because you, you're you're a functional programming and you experimented with Scala as well. So Scala JS, for example. So right, and I still write C better than English. So, um, I mean, I you know, <laughs> yeah. so done a lot of different languages. You know, uh, I think com- you know, I think JavaScript really should be treated as the assembly language of the web. Yeah. You know, it'd be nice if we got a real assembly language for the web, but for the moment, this is what we've got. Mm. Um, you know, I've written enough JavaScript to know that I don't want to write in JavaScript. Um, and so I think compiled to JavaScript languages are the right way to go. They do just save you from all sorts of, of headaches. I mean, the cost is um, you, you need to make sure you're choosing something that interrupts well yeah. um, with, with the JavaScript ecosystem because you would like to leverage, um, you know, at least some of the libraries that exist out there. Mm. Um, so, you know, I think, I, you know, I really want to love Elm. Uh, it's 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 got some really great features. The the biggest one by far is the, you know, their claim that you you that evidently is backed up. I've not I've not done it myself. That you know, if you can get it to to compile, you're not going to get a runtime exception. Yeah. Um, right. So it's got some it's got some nice features. Yeah. Uh, it's not built with a full stack kind of yeah uh, That's you know, unified. You know, it's 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 front, front end. end exactly, um, and and that would be my my comment about. And this isn't a criticism. This is just like I said. This yeah. is like my my what I'm weighing with my fulcrum. Yeah, <laughs> to, yeah, get, yeah. to get to get to uh, get uh, where I want to be. Uh, I, I'm not writing just a front end, um, yeah. uh, and I don't think anybody else is either. That's All true. of us are out there. We're writing distributed systems. We're writing a user interface that needs to get to data that we persist on a server. Yeah. Um, there are some people who might be writing front-end only stuff, but at the end of the day, you're going to have to figure out how you get your data from your server, how do you get it on the screen, how do you get it back to the server uh, when you change it. Yeah. Um, and I think the Omnix model for that is a superior model yeah. uh, when you get to that full stack story. So what are, what are your plans for Fulcro then? Uh, what, is, what is in the future or near future or far future? Um. So the near future, I'm running through a series of beta releases right now. I'm trying to get uh, the documentation uh, more polished up. I, I think there's there's quite a bit of documentation. We've got a developer's guide, a reference guide. That's it's about half done. Yeah. The reference guide, the developer's guide, is quite complete. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, there's a template. There's a number of YouTube videos. I'm, uh, there's a bunch of old YouTube untangled videos that I'm trying to you know I'm trying to make updated versions. Yeah. Um, I've gotten better at, at teaching the system, so I think the, the newer videos are probably better than the older ones in some ways, and I don't know, I'm mm. probably falling short in others. Mm. Um, so I'm, I'm basically trying to polish the entire ecosystem uh, uh, to the point where you know people can can understand uh, what's there, yeah, uh, mm. and and can kind of self serve um, because there's there's a lot of uh, 
um, there's a lot to learn. The Omnext yeah. model, that's, that's probably the biggest weakness of, of Omnext, period, is it's so different from what people are used to doing, mm. um, both in terms of the data-driven aspect, the optimistic update by default aspect, the mutations as pure abstractions that become network data. Um, uh, yeah, it's just one thing after another, pure rendering. Um, like people aren't used to pure rendering, even though React kind of enables it um, and you know Reagent and such kind of en enable it as well. In terms of the pure, I'm going to throw you the entire, I'm going to pretend like I throw you the entire tree of data and that gives me a keyframe of animation for my UI. That's not something people are, are used to. Yeah. Most people yeah. aren't used to unless they've been working already in a system like this. So there's so many new things to learn. Um, a, you know, the, the client data model as a database, a normalized database on the client is something a lot of people haven't done. So I'm trying to create enough education materials so that when people come to it, they're going to be overwhelmed to some extent because there's so much new. Yeah. Um, but I'm kind of hoping that, that there's enough, enough of us nerdy guys out there who love to learn. I mean, most of us are self-taught programmers who yeah. sat in our bedrooms as teens and played with computers, right? <laughs> yeah. So I'm kind of hoping that, that the majority of the audience is willing to, to undergo uh, you know, a little bit of the pain that it takes to learn, learn new mechanisms. But I'm trying to make that as easy as possible. That's, that's what's next. Okay. And as I get those materials to a point that I feel comfortable that, that a person coming to it for the first time at least has a good chance, and I, think, mm -hmm. I think I'm getting there pretty close to it, I don't really want to advertise it much more widely. Like I, I haven't, I've intentionally not been putting announcements up in much more visible places. You know, I announce to my local users that I know I already have. I announce on Slack and my Twitter channel, and that's about it. Okay. I don't go to Reddit. I don't go, right? And part of that reason is, I think with JavaScript programmers in particular, you're probably going to get one chance, yeah. right? They might come look mm -hmm. at it, and if they can't grok it, at least gets Hello World working relatively rapidly, you've lost. Yeah, or to-do to do MVC or whatever, yeah. Exactly. And we have a to-do yeah. MVC. That's, yeah, in yeah. fact, we have a full stack to-do MVC with a support <laughs> viewer, right? Wow. Where you can see the, the time travel support viewer in, 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 in action. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's what's next. Is I'm trying okay. to push it to a larger audience, but I don't want to do that until, until I feel like the story is, okay. yeah, is, is a good first look. So apart from writing code, I mean, what are the things that you do? I mean, I'm, I'm assuming most of the time you'll be spending in front of the computer like every other programmers. <laughs> but do you have any I, hobbies? I or? do a little bit of gardening. Oh, okay. Yeah, I do a little bit of gardening. I do a bit of hiking and 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 such. Hmm. Um, and then I also have, uh, I'm I've got kind of a, a back burner project I've been working on that has to do. And this is sort of, in, this isn't really in front of the computer because I'm not writing code for it yet. <laughs> but I'm doing a lot of research around uh, uh, trying to do a, um, a company around restoration agriculture or some other environmentally positive oh. um, uh, uh, business related okay. to that. Like I said, I'm still doing a lot of, of research around what the right approach is. I don't want to just go half-cocked and, yeah. and do a bunch of work on something that doesn't actually help. But that's really where I'd like to be spending most of my time and most of my energy is trying to get a company that I don't know, either helps, maybe it helps individuals do permaculture, maybe it helps farmers revamp their farms into, yeah. you know, more sustainable systems, something along those lines. That's, that's what I'd like to be doing. Wow. So from, I don't know, Sounds uh, excellent. Yeah. culturing code to culturing uh, <laughs> environment. Yeah. Securing. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Fulcro is, is going to be a primary tool in that, yeah, you know, I course. think it's, yeah. it's, it's really, it's really well suited for rapidly building, you know, first class applications that, 
at this point, and I know it really well, obviously. <laughs> so, so that's part of the reason why I'm continuing to maintain maintain that tool set is I is yeah, I want to yeah. use it. I think also uh, you have a, a a model for supporting you as well, doing full crow as well, don't you, Tony? You have a, a page there where people can um, help to support the project financially and um, in terms of effort as well. Yeah, I've got a Patreon thing. I've got a one-time PayPal thing. Um, yeah. You know, I get a whole lot of contributions off of that. I, I do get sure. some. Um, it's certainly not yeah. enough to support to support myself for the project uh, yeah. at the moment. But you know, I'm also trying to. I haven't I haven't actually uh, coalesced this yet, but I will probably put together a consulting company hmm. um, around it to offer you know actual okay. paid consultancy time. Yeah, that's pretty excellent. Nice. Well, best to look with it. I mean, I think it's really um, like you say, you're saving people who who want to experiment with this on next approach a hell of a lot of time. Um, and I think that it's it's very worthwhile, very worthwhile. I mean, you know, it's been it's been a great discussion, to be honest. I I think we we've I just noticed that we've like, we've went over an hour, so yeah. I think we should start <laughs> to uh, <laughs> wind things up a little bit now. But um, but it's it's really interesting, and also there's a, there's, a, there's still a few things in that page where the CSS stuff and some other bits and pieces that I think we could talk for for even longer on. Um, but anyway, anything else you want to talk about just before we, we, we sort of wrap up the, uh, the show for the night? No, I, I think what you just mentioned is, is the only thing kind of weighing on my mind. I feel like we, you know, there are some, some really cool things uh, in the ecosystem, like the, the co-located CSS, the server-side rendering, the internationalization, all those things that, uh, that uh, you know, people can check out the website and, yeah. and see what's there. Um, but these are exciting things that are happening. They're happening in a lot of frameworks. You know, people are, in, in the React ecosystem have been experimenting for quite a while with, you know, can we put the CSS for the component with the component? Mm. Um, because as soon as you do that, you start to evaporate a lot of the tool chain. You know, you no longer need the web pack plus the this, plus the post CSS, plus the that, plus the, right? Some of these things have just nightmarish uh, build systems. And when you get to something where it's all in Clojure and Clojure script, and there's a Clojure script compile and there's a Clojure compile, yeah. that's it. Yeah. There's your yeah. build system. Um, and it seems like HTML5 is going that way as well. So mm -hmm. you're kind of going with the grain a little bit as well. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. I think it's kind of cool that the ClojureScript community has generated uh, enough innovation that, that it's feeding back to JavaScript land, mm -hmm. right? Um, a lot of these things that exist in Java, Redux, Redux credits yeah. ClojureScript um, for inventing a lot of the things that it's doing. And in fact, if you go and look at it, it looks very similar yeah. Uh, uh, to a lot of what we're doing here, immutable yeah. JS and stuff like this. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. This, this, it's, it's, it's not a, it's not a unidirectional thing. Uh, we are, you know, we're kind of feeding off each other, mm. and I think, to be honest, uh, we've got the better programming language. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, we don't have the, we don't have the crowd. <laughs> we don't have the numbers, but yeah. um, it's so much easier to work in Clojure and ClojureScript than mm. it is in in JavaScript land. That's true. I honestly think that we do have the numbers, but I think JavaScript has numbers of developers that that are kind of counted as JavaScript developers, but really aren't JavaScript developers. Um, mm. This might be controversial, but I reckon that ninety percent of JavaScript developers are not developers. 
Um, yeah, you know, that's they have the right JavaScript. No, I'm, I'm not even yeah. joking about that. No, you know? no, that's not joking. Just like people who are used to doing CSS and HTML who want to yeah. make something animate. Yeah. yeah, they claim they're JavaScript developers, but yeah. all they know how to do is muck with the DOM a little bit. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, it's no. just to me, it's like just where they are. Pe- pe- people say things like, "Oh, we, we can't get Closure developers, but we can get JavaScript developers." Well, you know, I've been on the other side of that, trying to recruit decent JavaScript developers, and they are very few and far between. Actually, mm. you know, yeah. if you want people to understand. JavaScript. What you want is a good developer. Really deep level. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I think you don't care what language they write. Yeah. You want a good right. developer. Yeah. yeah. Um, and as soon as you've got a good developer, we've got a lot of them in Clojure for sure. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as you've got a good developer, handing handing them a good tool uh, just makes them better. And we're we're trying to get them out of the woods. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, we're trying to get them in the woods. Yeah. <laughs> in the backwoods. Whichever way you want to look at it. Yeah. I mean, even, even Ray lives in, I don't know, some godforsaken, uh, of course, Belgium is already, you know, kind of. You godforsaken. Know, yeah. I mean, <laughs> nobody cares about Belgium, but um, it's Belgium of Belgium, Europe. Um, but he, he lives in a very remote Belgian place. So this is kind of a trend now, I think. Anyway. I also work remote as well. Yeah. I work for an American company in Belgium, in the middle of nowhere. So nice. yeah, it's very good. Yeah. I think I'll be soon, uh, quote unquote, jobless. So I'll be changing my job as well. So we'll see what uh, what is going to happen next. Good times. Or maybe we'll we'll ask for money for uh, the, the two people who listen to uh, Closure Podcast. And then, hey, can you send us money so we can buy cookies? or <laughs> Right, or beer. I think we'll, we'll start, we'll start uh, a Patreon I think Patreon we should... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's let's stop now. <laughs> yes. Before before. Uh, so um, before what, the listeners kill themselves. One one final question. Um, are you a vegetarian? Are, are you vegetarian? Yes, I am. You're asking. No. Oh, Tony. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. You're asking me. <laughs> yes. I'm. I'm not. I'm not. Why? Uh, oh my no, God. because our our tagline is the best vegetarian closure podcast on this side of the pond run by a Belgian and an Indian Indian guy. I mean, we're trying to make it so specific that we have our own niche that nobody can beat. So ah, we, we, we both are vegetarian. So we usually ask this question, you know, the guests who come in and then if they say they're vegetarian, we're like, yeah, but if they say no, no oh, okay, fine, moving on. So that's pretty much it. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine, moving on. <laughs> yeah. You'd be- you probably do eat vegetables though at some point. Yeah. I eat so- a lot of vegetables actually. I grow vegetables. Yeah. That's perfect. Oh, just we'll, we'll we'll count that. Yeah. Yes. All right. <laughs> okay. Um, so let's conclude. Um, Tony, um, you haven't eaten any meat during this podcast, have you? Uh, no. Ah, perfect. Okay, awesome. That, yeah. That's all. That, that works. Yeah. That works. Yes. So it is still a vegetarian <laughs> podcast um, yeah. during during the recording of the show. Um, but but Tony, I mean, thanks a lot for uh, for joining us. It is. I mean, I I know I just pinged you like uh, I don't know two days ago, and uh, you're very kind to say yes to uh, joining this one. And it's, sure. it's really fun to talk to you. And um, I, I hope, you know, more and more people take a look at Full, Full Crow. Uh, obviously, you're not, you know, trying to take over the world yet. Uh, yet. Full Crow. <laughs> yet. <laughs> Getting ready to take over the world. But it, but it looks um, really interesting. And I think I'm, I'll give it a shot as well. Uh, I mean, I have this habit yeah, of likewise, trying out yeah. different things. So, uh, of course, mm-hmm. making Home Next Easy is like, uh, is not an easy task. But I'm sure, you know, you, you did really good job there. <laughs> I'm trying. Yeah, and uh, that's it from us. I think uh, Ray, any conclusive conclusive remarks, or what do you call it again? Concluding. Concluding. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I like you. I agree. I mean, I think uh, Tony's doing a good job. 
Honestly, you know, I mean, just as as a little kind of um, this is not really a puff piece, but it's so good to speak to closure developers. Actually, everyone yeah. that's we've talked to on the show has always been like super nice guys yeah. and super funny, and it's no exception with you, Tony. So thanks yeah. very much. It's been a real pleasure, and you know, so easy to speak with. You make awesome software, so yeah, best of luck with that. But but no, also just you know, keep on rocking on. It's really good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Appreciate and it. Keep keep testing. Keep testing. <laughs> keep testing. <laughs> it's like it's like uh, uh, just keep just, just keep swimming. Just keep testing. Yeah, just, just keep, keep testing. testing. Just keep, testing. Just keep <laughs> breathing. Keep yeah. testing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, that's it for the episode number twenty five from us. And um, I think we're gonna roll on the credits. Um, the music that you hear is from Pizzeri on SoundCloud. And uh, I mean all, all the noise that we're making that is being fixed by Wouter. Uh, who is a fellow Belgian for uh, from uh, fellow Belgian uh, friend of race um, and that's it from us for this episode uh, we soon are trying to get more and more episodes back back on track after our uh, lazy summer holiday so uh, we hope to uh, uh, talk to you soon via the podcast okay <laughs> bye-bye <laughs> bye <laughs> cheers thanks Tony you're welcome thank you